as they're headed out to, to jump into Kids Church, I want us to, to be able to jump into God's Word as well today, and, and I love worshiping with Brett and our team, and, and I hope that you understand what a privilege it is that we get to do that. I mean, this is camp quality worship every single week that we get here at Central. I mean, it's, it's that good that, that it's in demand at other places, and we get it every week. And so I don't ever want to take it for granted because I love getting to worship with them and with you and the king that is on his throne, uh, and that's fantastic. As Brett said, we're kind of jumping into a new series right now uh, that's going to prepare us, hopefully, at the end of the month on July 31st, we land at the Lord's Supper and baptisms on the 31st, and and there we will gather there at the Lord's table. And so our, our series that we're jumping into right now is just simply called At the Table. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the word that the Lord gave me for this. Hopefully you will be too. I will tell you that growing up in my house, that was the one place that we were all guaranteed to show up was at the table. That's, that's just what it was. So many things happened there. Breakfast was eaten there before we'd go to school. Homework was done or attempted at least. Uh, after the after-school snack, of course, that we would have, and then you'd get your, your homework done there. Uh, dinner was there every night, 6.30 at my house. Uh, Dad would get home and would take off his jacket and loosen his tie, and we'd sit down and eat our dinner together at 6.30. It was always there. Mom cooked every night. We didn't go out hardly at all. That was a special treat if we ever did. I, I remember many times as we would sit and, and eat dinner, anytime we had tacos, it was a taco eating contest is what it immediately turned into. And so me and my dad, my brother, who can eat the most tacos? And my mom would just sit and shake her head like, I can't believe that these garbage disposals are eating all of these tacos that were happening. And uh, we didn't even put mustard on them. We just ate them like just normal people. And, uh, and so anyway, I, I also remember that there were several times that me and my dad and my brother became star actors, as we told mom we, how much we loved her new recipe uh, at the table, and uh, sometimes got in trouble with that one. Uh, but here's the deal. Maybe some of you older people remember this, too. Um, we had a Lazy Susan on our table. You remember that? And for those that don't know what a Lazy, it's not a person. Um, I don't know why they named it after Susan. I feel bad for Susans, but, um, but it was just a round thing in the middle of the table that would spin around, and like you'd put something on it, and it could spin around, whatever. I always got in trouble for spinning it fast and salt and everything goes over. I, but I remember having that in my house. It was super fun to have that and putting stuff on it that was there uh, for that. At, at my house, maybe this is true at yours, uh, everybody had assigned seats. You sat in the same seat every meal for that, like, like some of you do for church. Um, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. Um, but we, we would have those assigned seats, and on occasion, whoever's idea it was, and if mom and dad were in the mood for it, whatever, then we would switch seats, and you had to act like the person whose seat that you were in. And that was always super fun to do that. I would make fun of my brother because he loved Piglet, and, and I thought it was ridiculous, so I'd make fun of him all the time for that. But we had different things that, that we would make fun of each other about in our, in our dinner times and, and laugh and laugh, so much laughter at our table. But the table is also a place where conversations are had. And some of those conversations are, are great. Some of them are less than great. I remember being summoned to the table, and we're sitting there, and my mom and dad are there, and that's where they gave me the keys to my first car, which was pretty significant in 1976, Buick Regal. I think I have a picture. Yeah, that's a babe mobile right there, I'm telling you. Mine was silver, though. Mine was silver, not, not blue in that. And it was, it was very unique in the fact that you could start it without a key, just jump in and turn it, and it would go. If you press the brake or the gas too hard, it dies. 
uh, and so you got to be ready. And it needed at least a quart of oil every other day because it leaked so much oil all the time. But you know what? It was my car, that gummit. It was mine. And I got the keys at the table. And it, it was much rejoicing that, that happened in that. I also remember the table was where report cards were read and consequences doled out as a result of that as well. Um, it, was, it was at the table when I was in high school that, that I found out that I had actually slept through a hurricane. And, and didn't even realize that. My, my room was, if you looked at our house, it's in the top back corner on the second floor. That was my room, and the garage was right behind that is where our, kind of the, our house was set up. And the hurricane blew through, Hurricane Alicia, and it did tons and tons of damage. And I came downstairs, and my aunt and uncle were visiting at the time, and they're all at the table with their coffee like this. And I'm like, what is, what's wrong? Like, what happened? They go, you didn't see out your window? And I'm like, no, why would I look out my window? I'm coming down for food. Like, that's, I'm 10th grade. This is important. And, and they go, go look out your window. And so I go back upstairs and look out my window, and our garage right there, one of our trees, big pine trees in the backyard, snapped in half and went through the garage like a rocket landing in there. And I never heard it. I just slept through the whole thing. Like, I felt like I was being like Jesus because he slept in storms. And so I was just being Christ-like is kind of what I was thinking. Everybody else was scared to death. But when I got to the table, I found out about the damage and the devastation that was there. It was, it was at the table where aunts, uncles, cousins, friends would come and laugh and play games and have fun and just be engaged with each other. And it was incredible the stories that were told at that. Um, it was also at the table where I was sat down and told that my peepaw had died. And it was also at the table where my parents told me they were getting a divorce. Like things happen at the table, big important things happen at the table. And I, I don't know if, if we need to have a, a conversation about how often do we even gather at the table anymore. That's not what I'm here to convict you of. But I think that if we will take time to think about the table and the big important things that go on there, tears, laughs, learning, prayers, food, fellowship, memories, all happen at the table. Life happened at the table. And I don't want to miss that, because one thing is true in all of those situations. When you go to the table, your mouth is open. That's where you go to the table. Whether it's to put something in or whether to get words coming out, your mouth is open. Sometimes shock and amazement, like, what? Like, there's a hurricane. Like, all that happens there. And, and so we're starting today a month-long journey to July 31st where we will gather at the Lord's table. We'll have baptisms and we'll celebrate. God has been doing incredible things in the church here, in the church universal, and seeing God move in, in students' lives and kids' lives through VBS and camp. And even as Brett was talking about what we got to do last week, him at Zephyr and me at Highland Lakes, and, and seeing, I don't know, tons of kids give their life to Christ and, and repent of sin or even be called into ministry is, is fantastic to experience that there. And so what I want us to do is turn to Luke chapter 24 because we're going to spend the next three weeks being invited to the table. We're going to take a look at what happens at the table. So as you turn to Luke 24, I want to give you some context of where we're at so that you understand the story that I'm about to unpack with you. Jesus has been crucified. He has been dead for three days. This is the very first Easter, but nobody knew it. Nobody was aware. There were no bunnies, eggs, or chocolate being passed around. There was no sunrise service or new clothes or fancy meals being had. There was nothing to celebrate. There was confusion, sadness, fear, 
disappointment. Those were the emotions that were reigning the day. Two followers of Jesus, not part of the 12 disciples that we're so familiar with, two additional people that were part of the crowd there on that morning of his resurrection that they weren't aware of at this time, are headed home trying to figure out what just happened. And, and maybe you've been in that situation before where you're headed home going, what did we just see? What did we just encounter? What were we just a part of? Whether it's a physical experience, a spiritual experience, an emotional experience, whatever, we probably had those moments. These two are having that. So uh, Luke 24, we're going to start in verse 13, now that we know the context of what had just happened. Jesus has resurrected, has not appeared to anybody yet that is of record at this time. Now, verse 13, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. All right, so again, get your, get your mind around the context of there. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, about this trial, this brutal torture, this hanging on a cross, this death, this burial, this all of this, this incredible thing that happened over the week. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. The plot thickens. Two people having overwhelmingly seen and experienced all the, the weekend of destruction, devastation, death, and they're walking the seven-mile walk home. Can you believe what just happened? I'm just trying to get my head around all this. And all of a sudden, a third person comes up to them. It's Jesus, and they don't know it. It's like we get to be on this side of the TV show when there's these two characters, and someone they don't know shows up, but we know who it is. Oh, it's him. Oh, they don't know it. Like, this is that. Like, this is a cool story. What happens in this thing is amazing. I, I, I struggle sometimes with, with Scripture that doesn't give me enough detail. But I think that's how we learn. We ask questions. What about this? What about, I think God invites those questions to us. It's not just, hey, take this and just drink it and, and you're done. Like, dig in. Ask the questions. And so, to me, I want to know, how far into the seven miles were they when Jesus showed up? Like, are they ten steps out of the city? Are they halfway done with the walk? I'm guessing it's within the first mile simply because everything that Jesus has to tell them. But I don't know that. I don't have documentation of that. You know, I, 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 I don't know. But, but I know that he showed up. And he starts walking with them, and they didn't recognize him. This is awesome. So here's what he says to him, verse 17. He, being Jesus, asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Hey, guys, what are you talking about? What's, what's happening? <laughs> I think it's great. Like he doesn't know. You're God. Okay. They stood still, their faces downcast. Like they're walking along. My, my picture in my mind is the shoulders are slumped, shuffling their feet. It's a slow walk home. Man, what a weekend. And this guy shows up. Hey, what are you guys talking about? Just a big sigh, and they stop talking, stop walking, and just stand there. Disappointment. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? You really don't know what's going on? Like, were you not a part of this whole thing? Did you not know what happened? 
Like, what, have you been living under a rock? Well, actually, <laughs> I was behind one, you know. Ironically, he's the only one that really knew what happened. We'll see that in a second. That's funny. You the only one that doesn't know what's going on? Like, are you that dumb? <laughs> Jesus says, verse 19, what things, he asked. What are you talking about? Tell me what's going on. They respond, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Like, it, it's this guy, Jesus. And it's a good thing he said good things about him, because this was an undercover boss moment right here. Like, he's, what things? Tell me about it. Now, what are you going to say about me behind my back? <laughs> Actually, to my face. So they go on to tell the story, verse 20. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Mourning, sadness, disappointment. I mean, feel the heaviness of what they're saying. Don't just listen to their words and go, oh, what a great little Bible story. Like, feel the emotion that they were feeling. Feel the heaviness of the moment as they shared what's going on because they are not in a good place mentally. They are sad. This guy is dead and we had to watch him die. We are discouraged. We're disappointed. Because they say in verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. I mean, we thought he was the one it was going to be so good, and then he died, and it's been three days. How defeated do they feel? How discouraged? Oh, we had such high hopes, and it's been so hard, and I just don't understand. And there's more, verse 22 in the story. In addition, some of our women amazed us. Thank you, ladies, for being amazing. I appreciate that. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Yeah, right. We're not going to believe that. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. Yeah, well, I'm not sure I believe you. I'm going to go check that out for myself. But they did not see Jesus. Doubt. Confusion. On top of disappointment and discouragement and defeat and sadness and mourning. Like, look at all this stuff. Apparently, no one believed Mary Magdalene yet as God or Jesus revealed himself to her. See, here's, here's the thing that, that, that's disappointing to me in this moment. Because this group of people, specifically these two, see, they had a preconceived idea of who Jesus was and what he was supposed to do and how he was supposed to do it. And I think that's terrible of them to do that. Because he came to pay the price for our sin. He came to die on the cross and raise from the dead so we can have eternal life. It's easy for me to say that. I'm on this side of the cross. They didn't know. And so I judge them for having this preconceived idea of who Jesus is and what he's supposed to do and how he's supposed to do it. But how often do I do that? How often do we do that? We have this idea of who Jesus is supposed to be and what he's supposed to do in my life and how he's supposed to do it. And if he doesn't do it that way, then he's wrong. That hurts, man. I don't get to pick. He does. 
He has the authority. He chooses for us. And I'm getting mad at him for not being who I think he should be and doing what I think he should do. I'm missing the big picture of the whole thing. And it upset Jesus too, so I'm justified in being disappointed in those people and myself. Verse 25, he being Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets, all that the prophets have spoken. There's an exclamation point there. I mean, Jesus raising his voice. Like, guys, really? You don't understand? You have the whole Old Testament. You have all the stories of the prophets. Don't you realize what's going on? Verse 26, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Hebrews 5, 8, 9, Isaiah 53, 5, among other scriptures that speak of the, the suffering that the Messiah must go through. This was not a story that had never been told. It wasn't a prophecy that they'd never heard. It was real. It was a part of their history. And they missed it. Well, he didn't do what I thought he was going to do. He was supposed to come and dominate. He's the Messiah. He's going to take over. He's going to make right everything that was wrong. He's going to sit on a throne, and we're going to be the best people. That, that, was, what, that didn't happen. Why am I disappointed in them? Then verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus shared his own biography. Guys, you don't get it. How foolish can you be? Do you not remember what the prophets have said? Don't you know the Messiah has to suffer before he goes into glory? Like, that's the whole thing of this. And you missed it. Let me remind you. And he tells this story. It's the greatest sermon never recorded. Like, when I get to heaven, that's one of the things that I'm going to go, God, can you DVR that for me? Can you just put up on a screen? I'd really like to hear what Jesus said. What verses in the Old Testament did he refer to? What, what pieces did he pull out to tell the story of himself through prophecy? How fantastic is that? That would be such an interesting thing to hear, to study, to understand. Man, I would, I would love to be a part of that. But Jesus tells this, which again tells me it was not just like a, a one-mile walk the rest of the way. I, in my mind, Jesus shows up early, right out of the city, because they're already feeling the heaviness and the disappointment, and they're sad, and they're bummed out, and they're walking. What are you guys talking about? <sighs> Can't believe you don't know this Jesus guy and what he was supposed to do. And They said he's alive, but he's not. No one saw him. Guys, let me, can I just tell you a story real quick? And for the next seven miles, he tells them as they walk, the whole story. They get the big picture. They get the whole thing from Jesus himself. Then they get close to the city, verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. So much cool stuff in that couple of verses right there. It's They're getting there, and, and Jesus like, yeah, I'm going to head on, like, no, 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 man, come, come stay with us. Now, I have no theological basis for this. This is just strictly an opinion that came into my head, and I'm just going to share it with you because I thought it was interesting. But at this point, I think a lot of times we assume that these two people walking to Emmaus were two guys. What if it was a married couple? What if it was a husband and wife, guy and a girl? I, 
Come stay with us. Be in our home with us. Break bread with us. Because there are male and female followers of Jesus from Emmaus. I don't know. It's just a thought there. But I also think of this. Jesus doesn't force himself to your table, but will always accept the invitation. See, Jesus, Jesus isn't a guy to go, hey, make room for my chair and push it in there and go sit down. But if you invite him, he will gladly sit at your table. And they invited him. He could have gone on. What a critical moment for these two. Because what's about to happen changes the rest of their life. But in that moment, they could have said, man, it was a good walk. Good luck wherever you're going next. Thanks for the story. But they didn't. Hey, will you come sit with us? Come sit at our table. He accepted the invitation to do that. Now it gets good. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, ah, we've arrived at the table. That's what this is all about. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. What? That's so incredible. This big, long walk. Hey, come sit at the table with us. Man, I would love to do that. Thanks for inviting me in, guys. Let me, let me just... Let me just say thanks for all of this. Let me just pray and break this bread and give it to you. And then, pff, gone. <laughs> Can you imagine what they're doing? Like, we're about to eat there. Oh, where'd he go? What, did you see? Did you? Did you what? what? Like, could you imagine the back and forth that they have in this moment that's right here? Big, important things happen at the table. Fellowship. He was with them. Food, he took bread. Prayer, he gave thanks. Learning and memories. As he gave it to them and their eyes were opened, they recognized Jesus. You think that's a story they didn't tell a million times? Every Thanksgiving, every Christmas. Like, you think that didn't come up at their family tables all the time? Like, there was memories. Why? Because life happens at the table. Jesus opened their eyes, but he had kept them blind, I think, to teach them a deeper truth. He could have easily revealed himself throughout the journey. He could have easily revealed himself as they were walking along. He waited until the table. He waited until that moment. Why? Because you can see Jesus without seeing who Jesus is. And when we make that mistake, we miss out on eternity. Even if I were able to see, I still might not believe. Even if you were able to see, you still might not believe. Why? Because we must trust the testimony of the Scriptures. We must trust God's Word. No one can tell you who Jesus is more than this book. There is not a person alive. I don't care how scholarly they are. I don't care how godly they are. There is not a person ever has, ever am, or ever will exist that can tell you about Jesus the way God's Word can. This is the authority. This is the final authority. You want to see Jesus? Look here. Look here. Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't matter. Jesus only used the Old Testament to tell his whole story. Because what they were experiencing is what we're reading now. They didn't have it. You can see Jesus without seeing who Jesus is. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. 
I'm going to say that again. I don't want us to miss it. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. Faith comes from hearing, not seeing. Hearing the most incredible story as you walk for seven miles, not even realizing it was Jesus telling his own story. But it affected them. It had impact on them. My prayer is this. I pray that me, myself, I pray that we as a church, I pray that you in small groups and even in big church, I pray that we would never spend more time talking about the Bible than just sitting with Jesus reading the Bible. And that's a real temptation for me. I love to talk about the Bible. I love to have conversations about it. I love to, to do that and, and, hey, what's it saying to you? And have, But if I'm spending more time talking about it than I am spending time sitting with it, I'm missing it. I can't be lazy with God's word when it's the most transformative thing in the world and available to me 24-7. It is the least read bestseller of all time. What are we doing with God's word? As the story goes, on June 18, 1815, uh, General Wellington of England had a pretty famous battle with a guy named Napoleon at a place called Waterloo. Maybe you remember this. And as I read the story, all of England was waiting to hear the result of the battle. There were no telephones or anything like that at the time, so everything was done by signals, lights and flags and different things that would be sent from ship to land, land to the people, like that's kind of how that would go. They received the message one letter at a time is how it would be sent. And the message said this, Wellington defeated, and the fog rolled in, and the country was devastated. Gosh, we thought we were going to win. Gosh, we thought it was going to be good news, but Wellington's defeated. Man, two hours later, the fog lifted and the message was resent. Wellington defeated the enemy. Oh, well, that changes everything, doesn't it? It went from complete disappointment, devastation to complete celebration, right? That's what happened in that story right there as it was resent. These followers of Christ thought they knew the whole story, and they walked away discouraged and disappointed and sad, and confused, and hurt, and hopeless, and mourning, but they missed the most important part. See, they believed Jesus was defeated, but the whole message is Jesus defeated the enemy. <laughs> he defeated sin. He defeated death. He gave us hope. He gave us life. That's what happened in that moment. That's what happened. That first Easter was there. The news they understood at the table changed everything. Because at the table, their eyes were open. Now they could explain that weird feeling they'd been having as they were walking on the road. That, that weird sensation that was going on inside of them that, that we might call heartburn, but it's a little different version of that because it says in verse 32, they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? It was the scriptures that lit them up. They didn't know it was Jesus. All they knew is that what they were hearing was causing something inside to stir. It was burning. It couldn't stay still. It, it, it was resonating inside, but they couldn't explain it all because they thought they knew the whole picture. They thought they knew the whole story, but they didn't. The story was about to be revealed to them in all of its fullness when Jesus opens their eyes, and that's so cool to me. See, the scriptures lit them up. Jesus wanted them to trust his word over his physical appearance. I think that's still true today. But do we get fired up to be in his word? Is it more important to check the box to be in church than be in the word? 
Is it more important to check the box to be in Sunday school than be in the Word? And I'm just asking a question because it hits me in the heart. Do I get fired up to be in God's Word? To just sit with it? To just let it overwhelm me? Being at the table changed mourners to missionaries. Isn't that crazy? A seven-mile walk with some heartburn, eyes being opened at the table to the truth of who Jesus is and the fullness of his scriptures. It's burning inside of them. Their whole mindset changed. Verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. What? It was the end of day. It's over. Like, come stay with us. We can travel on tomorrow, or you can go wherever you're going tomorrow. So they're done traveling until their eyes were opened, until they went, oh, my goodness. Do, do you understand what just happened? Like, do we we got to go tell them. And they took off right then. It doesn't matter it's late at night. It doesn't matter if the road is dangerous. I'm guessing they made a little better time going back than they did coming there. It's not much of a day. To... We got to go. I mean, they're after it. And they go all the way back. What does it say? There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when, uh, when he broke the bread. They finally recognized Jesus at the table when the bread was being broken. It didn't matter what time it was or that it was seven miles back. They had to go get there. They could not stop themselves. They had to go tell this story. It couldn't wait till tomorrow. It couldn't wait till next week. It couldn't wait. We got to get there and tell them. We had it wrong, guys. We had it wrong. He is alive. It wasn't the end on the cross. It wasn't the end in the tomb. There's more to the story. We got to go tell. And so they did. They ran back and told and they celebrated all that happened because of what happened at the table. God is all about loving us. Jesus opens our eyes so that we will open the scriptures. We open the scriptures so God can open our understanding. God opens our understanding so we will open our mouths. We will open our mouths so we can tell people about Jesus not as difficult as we make it to be. Jesus opens our eyes so we will open the scriptures. We open the scriptures so God will open our understanding. God opens our understanding so we'll open our mouths. We open our mouths and we can taste and see that the Lord is good. And we can go tell others about it. See, when we're at the table, it's all about our mouths being open, right? I said that at the beginning. To receive from Jesus and tell others about him. So I want to end with two questions for you. Just two questions. One is this. Who's invited to your table? Has Jesus been invited to your table? Or are you good watching him sit at someone else's table just wishing he'd come to yours? He's one invitation away. If you've never made that invitation, if you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior because of what he did, our sin cost death, and that death was paid by Jesus. Because of our sin, he took our place on that cross, and he stayed dead for three days, and everybody thought it was over. 
Jesus defeated. But on the third day, Jesus defeated the enemy. He rose again. He had to suffer so that he could enter his glory, so that we could have our sins paid for, so that we could have a relationship with him and have a chair at the table. Have you invited him? If you have not invited Jesus to your table and to your life, I'm inviting you today. Make the great exchange. Step into a relationship with him, not a religion. God doesn't want us to be religious. Religion didn't die on a cross. A person did. His name is Jesus. He wants a relationship with you. Have you invited him to your table? Please do so. I'm about to invite you the opportunity to come and talk with someone here. would love to pray with you and walk that out with you on how to invite Jesus to your life, how to enter into that relationship with him. But the second question I want to ask you is this. What's on your table? What's on it? What's sitting there on your table? We had a lazy Susan so everything could be shared. Are the scriptures on your table? Are they easily accessible? Are they shared frequently with the people that you love? Are they hidden in your heart? Have you consumed them to the point that they've taken root in your heart? Scripture says, I've hidden your word in my heart so I don't sin against you. It's the key to success in all of that. Intimacy with Jesus does not depend on our ability to see him, but our willingness to trust his word. It's not about a physical thing you see. It's about an understanding that his word is true. What's on your table? If the scriptures are just collecting dust on a bookshelf, we're missing it. And I'm not saying that you need to have a physical Bible sitting on there every day. But I am asking, do you pray as a family? Do you pray? Do you read the scriptures? Do you talk about it? And Deuteronomy 6 gives us clear instructions to do that. Who's at your table? What's on your table? John 20, 29, Jesus said to them, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I want to invite you to the table. The band's coming up here, and they're going to have a chance to play. Um, And it's not to manipulate. It's not to do anything. It's simply to give you pause, to listen. It gives you opportunity to hear. Maybe for the first time, invite Jesus to your table. Please, if you've never done that, do that. Don't miss that. It's the most important thing. But maybe there's other things. But you just need to come and do business with God. There's going to be some people up here, pastors, elders, who would love the chance to pray with you. You can come to these steps and pray on your own. You do whatever God tells you to do, but don't miss the invitation to the table. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you that you